Our gospel reading for us this morning comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Hear these words for us this morning. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festival. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told his servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign of Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. This is word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your love and your grace and your work amongst us. And Lord, as we enter to this time, we ask for you to open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we may be attentive to your work. Turn out the distraction of our day and our lives so that we may focus entirely upon your word speaking to us. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You wouldn't know it back then, but today the, the town of Cana in Galilee is a major tourist destination. It's one of those places they take you when you go on the Holy Land tour that you've got to visit just to say you've been there once. When you get off the bus, you head up a, a tiny hill and, and you head into seeing some of the the ruins and some of the, the historical sites in that area. You get a chance as well to see purification jars. You, you've seen some of these throughout the tour, but it's kind of interesting to see it in Cana this time. These massive stone jars, which I hope you're seeing in the video now, are symbolic of what was used or relics and artifacts found that would have been used perhaps for ritual cleansing to allow someone to be cleansed so that they could participate in gatherings or festivities. It's where you would wash your hands and perhaps wash your feet. These stone jars were used so that they would stay ceremonially clean. You go in and you're just amazed by the beauty of the place and it's one of these places too where you go and many of the couples have an opportunity to had their wedding vows renewed and a time of celebration. But one of the 
the high points of this trip, this part of the, of the trip, is you go and you, you taste a little bit of wine. Everyone that goes through the, the gift shop right there gets a little bit of a, a sip of wine. Now, I will say I pass just because I'm not that much of a wine drinker. But as I'm, I'm shopping around, I, I see our tour guide over on the side, and she just gives me this little smirk. And if you know Rula, you know that she's up to something when she gives you that smirk. And next thing I know, she had come around with, to me and a few others with these giant bags. They had to be about yay big, filled with wine. Now, I'm not talking about box wine you get at the bottom shelf at Walgreens. I'm talking about nice bottles of wine. I'm just blown away because one, no one's ever bought me wine before, but also two, what an amazing gesture of love and care because at this point we had taken on more responsibilities with the tour and I think it was her way of saying thank you. So as we're walking out of the gift shop and we're walking down the hill and we're going back to the tour bus, I did what my grandfather always did when we were out traveling. And that is I put the bag around my right wrist and I wrapped it up and I, I just put it there I didn't think anything of it I didn't think of anything of it until we were getting to this crosswalk and this car stopped for us and I did that thing that you do in polite company and nicety when someone stops and lets you by I waved and I, I waved my right hand but I jerked it up so much and I had forgotten that I had this bag of wine in my hand and didn't think too much of it. Next thing I know, here comes this jar of wine out of my hands and off into the street. The abundance of wine spilt forth everywhere. Luckily, some friends of mine on the trip helped me out to where Rula's probably just now, if she's watching us, hearing the story for the first time and didn't realize that the wine I took home wasn't necessarily wine she had, just wine that some others bought extra so that I wouldn't be without. But I couldn't help but think of that story as I was preparing the sermon this week of the extravagant nature of wine. And the extravagant nature of what Christ did and just the beauty of wine that it was so overflowing of the, from those purification jars that they might have flown out into the streets and to the neighborhoods where Jesus was there with the wedding. And we come to this story in our journey through the Gospel of John and we come to this story that is only found in the Gospel of John. Matthew doesn't talk about it. Luke doesn't talk about, Mark doesn't talk about. We only hear about this story here. And we hear about it for a specific purpose. This early in the gospel narrative is a use by John. It's used by John as a way to set the stage for what Christ is coming to do. It is a sign of something greater. Now, you'll see this played out throughout the Gospel of John, and we'll talk about this as we come across them. But the Gospel of John can be defined by two characteristics from 119 all the way to the end of chapter 12. And that is by these seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. 
but also to these signs. There are seven signs that play themselves out from chapter 2 to chapter 12. These signs are often miracles, or they are places of amazing nature, such as Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. These signs are exactly what they are. They are moments of grace that reveal something about the divine character of God, but point to something much deeper. Is Jesus revealing something about his character and about his mission through something that seems at times very minuscule and sometimes very grandiose, but all done to point to something much bigger and much more extravagant than what the sign can even foretell or even signify. In this moment, Jesus is at a wedding. John doesn't say who the bride is. He doesn't say who the groom is. He just says that Jesus has gone to Cana to be with his disciples, to be with his family for a wedding celebration. Now, it's long been perhaps understood that maybe Mary who is only identified in the Gospel of John as the mother of Jesus. It's been long assumed that Mary might have been one of the attendants at this wedding and that Jesus was only there because of Mary's involvement in the wedding. That may have been the case. It may also be that Mary knew the bride and the groom and they were there as guests of the celebration. The same with Jesus. I think we say some of this because Maybe we are a little uncomfortable about what's taking place. And that is, Jesus is having a good time. In the first verse, we see that Jesus is at a celebration. He's at a party. He's doing what you do at a celebration. And you're at a party. He's having a good time. Jesus doesn't sit on the sidelines and says, oh, I can't believe these people. He gets in the midst of life. He gets in. He enjoys life. We see him often eating, celebrating, feasting, dining, in doing so at the, in the ways that are usual of that time. And one of the ways that was usual to celebrate in that time was to have a wedding that would be seven days long. Can you imagine a wedding that is seven days long today? I think all of us would go a little crazy. But also, too, a, a feast of seven days that you were expected to have wine at because wine was the customary drink in that day. In that Greco-Roman world, wine was customary. You drink wine like some of us drink Diet Coke. It was just part of your diet. It was just part of what was there. And so they would drink this wine. And the wine that they drank was very strong. And so sometimes you would add water to dilute it. So all of this is to say, Jesus is probably lounging at the table. You would lay on the floor in those days. He's probably lounging with his mother and his disciples and his friends. They're watching the party. They're watching the celebration, the dancing and everything else. When eventually the host or somebody comes up and says, uh, there's no more wine. The, the bar is closed. Now, this would be a major embarrassment for the couple to not provide a, a, ho- a party that then you ran out of something is a massive embarrassment. It means you didn't prepare one. It means you didn't, weren't hospitable. And so Mary perhaps is watching all this take place and looking at Jesus and going, you know, son, they're out of wine. With that tone that you get from your mother sometimes that 
when your mom leans in and, and gives you that tone, you know that she's expecting you to do something. Well, Mary's giving that tone to Jesus of they're out of wine. Now, what are you going to do about it? Because I know you can do something about it. So what are you going to do? And Jesus responds in a way that might sound a little offensive for us. He says, okay, big deal. What's that got to do with me? My time has not yet come. That might seem a little offensive to us. That's the Blosser translation of what he's saying. It's the, or maybe the West Virginia translation of what he's saying. Big deal. Okay, they're out of wine. Why do I need to get involved in this? That's not my concern. My hour has not yet come. He's noticing that there's just this, it's not that big of a deal that they're out of wine in comparison to the magnificent and the grand nature of why he has come into the world. Solving someone's hospitality problem with not having enough wine is not a concern of Jesus. His concern is his hour. And the hour in John's gospel is always of reference to his glory. And the manifestation of his glory that will be revealed upon the cross and the resurrection. Jesus, even in this moment, is focused on being obedient to the will of God. And being obedient to the desires of God. And he says, look, mom, mother, woman. He says that with a tender heart. He's not being dismissive. He's saying that with a sense of tenderness. It's not my concern. But he says it in such a way that Mary knows he's going to act. And so she goes to the, the ser servants, she goes to the stewards and says, look, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And so Jesus tells them to get the purification jars, these massive stone jars that could fill up to 20 gallons of water in a, in a jar. He says, take one of those jars and get some water out of it. And then take it to the chief host, the, the chief steward, the one in charge of the party. And he takes, they take it over to the steward and the steward takes a drink and next thing he knows, he goes to the bridegroom and says, I can't believe this. Everyone else serves the best wine first and then serves the weak stuff, the box wine, once everyone's a little too drunk. You, however, have served the best. You've saved the best for last. Jesus. And we don't know how he did it. We don't know in what ways he did it. He just tells the, the steward, hey, go take a ladle, take some water, and go give it to the steward. We don't know how he did it, but he turns the water into wine. And in doing so, it becomes a sign of something much greater. And that greater point to the sign is the extravagant nature of God's love and the abundance of God's grace and hope that's available for those who believe in Christ. You see, we, with each of those seven purification jars, if they were... And filling them up all the way to the brim, there would have been about 150 gallons of wine 
available, perhaps overflowing in newness, in new life, new hope. But the sign tells us and what Jesus is doing through the sign is saying he has come to bring a new life that is better than anything you could ever imagine. You thought you had something good now. You haven't experienced the best yet because the best isn't yet to come. The best is here now in my love, in Christ's love for you. He points out to the abundant nature of that divine love of God that is unconditional, that is always present, that is always seeking, always hungering out, always available to us. That pours into us hope and peace and love and joy. That abundant love that fills up our hearts, fills up our lives to where when we have been filled with it, we are just overwhelmed with grace and love that there is just this amazing calmness and hope that comes in knowing that we are the beloved children of God. Christ has come to bring a life abundant that is full of his love, that is full of his hope, that is full of his grace for every person. It's not an abundant life that will not be without troubles. Anyone who proclaims that Loving Jesus means that you'll never have a difficult day. You'll never have a hard moment. You'll never have to wrestle with hard things is perhaps telling you a lie. That's not what abundant life is all about. That's perhaps a, a false gospel. What the abundant life of Christ means is that as the beloved children of God, that when we are filled in with the love of Christ, that even when we are dealing with troubles, even when we are dealing with difficulties, God is there filling us with newness, filling us with hope, filling us with grace so that we can persevere and make it through the tough times. Because we know that God is available and that God is present. Many of us, perhaps like myself, are worn to the bone right now. Tired of constant changes, tired of constant News that tells us of dark and disturbing things, perhaps even too tired of COVID. We're worn down. And perhaps when we are worn down, perhaps when we are tired, perhaps when we are feeling like we have nothing left in us, perhaps that is the moment when we need to ask ourselves, as the beloved children of God, and I, am I being filled in the abundant grace of God? Am I being filled by God's presence? Am I experiencing the newness of God's love? Am I being enriched and blessed in God's grace? And we wonder that by, are we seeking God? Are we praying? Are we reading? Are we worshiping? Are we encouraging? And are we knowing that no matter what we face in life, no matter what challenges may come before us, that God is there? The newness of the water and the wine 
is the abundant grace of God and the abundant hope of God. May we be filled to the brim and overwhelmed by a new life in Christ. To know God's love and to know that God is there with us right now. We pray with me. Most holy and gracious God, Father, we thank you for your abundant life and your abundant grace. Help us to feel your grace and your love today and always. In Christ we pray. Amen.